watching everything that's been going on around us uh, today. In the news, certainly we're watching the Middle East. Uh, I'm a newsaholic. Uh, you know, if, if I put Fox News on TV, my wife says, turn it off, I can't watch it anymore, you know, just... Uh, but I have the phone, that's my problem. It's your problem for a different reason, but that's my, you know, and, uh, you know, I'm always showing her, I don't want to see it, I want to see it, because I'm living in prophecy. I wake up every morning and look at the news to see what Jeremiah did while I was asleep, or see what Ezekiel did, or, you know, I just see what the Lord is doing. I, I can't believe we have stepped into this, and we're living in it now. I think the Lord wants us to know that. I've, I don't believe the Lord wants us educated by our media at home or by our mobile device. The Lord told us when you see these things begin to take place, lift up your heads. Your redemption draweth nigh. The average American is spending five hours a day looking down instead of looking up. Imagine if we spent five hours a day in his presence seeking him. In his word, the average American, five hours a day, looking into their mobile device, having the mobile device tell them, this is what you need to think, and this is how you need to think it. And if you don't think it the way we're telling you to think it, shut up. It's the cancel culture. You don't have any right to say anything else. And we're watching all of these protests now across our country and around the world, anti-Semitism. And, and the fact is, Israel is a necessity. It has to exist eschatologically because the prophets said it would exist. And because the prophets said it would exist in these days, Israel has to exist to uphold the accuracy and the truth of the word of God. If there is no Israel... When you go home and turn on the news, then God is disingenuous and his word cannot be trusted. And you and I have to learn somehow how to take this present circumstance and pull it out of the political world and put it into the spiritual world. Because this is not political. This is not political. Look, unequivocally, and we're believers, we have the scripture, we stand with the nation of Israel. But I understand this, unequivocally, we stand with every innocent Palestinian. We stand with every innocent Ukrainian, every innocent Russian. The, the slaughter around the world today is inspired by Satan. And everyone who dies without Christ is gone forever. And God loves the world and says, whosoever will, let him come to me. So it isn't as though he loves the Israelis more than he loves Americans or Russians or people in the Arab nations. But he did set aside Israel from all the other nations for his purposes. Because his Messiah was to come through Israel. Jesus was born in Israel. Jesus grew up in Israel. Jesus was crucified in Israel. Jesus rose from the dead in Israel. 
Jesus ascended into heaven from the Mount of Olives in Israel, and Jesus is coming again to Israel. Israel is a necessity. It has to exist, or God's word is not true. The prophets were not speaking truth. It is a necessity for these things to be true. You know, we, we look at it, the animosity and the hatred in the news today, it's spiritual. It's spiritual. It's not political. What's being drummed into a younger generation, you know, that, that Israel, they're the occupiers. They're the colonialists. They have no legitimate right to the land or to be there. And how does the Lord want us to think about all this? I think it's important for us to think about that. Look, in the natural, in the natural, October 7th, slaughter, unacceptable, evil. 12 to 1400 Israelis, that number goes back and forth, slaughtered in one day. That would be equivalent to about 48,000 Americans. When you can, you know, you put the figure against the population of the country. 48,000 Americans killed in one day is basically 16 911s. We all remember, those of us who were alive, 2001, 911, when the towers went down. We lost 3,000 Americans between there and the Pentagon. And because we lost 3,000, we went to war in Afghanistan. We went to war in Iraq. Nobody told us to hold back. Don't do that, because we wanted to get the perpetrators, the largest attack on American soil, is Pearl Harbor. Well, imagine if there were 48,000 Americans killed in one day. And imagine if that was 16 911s all over the country. High-rise buildings filled with Americans were brought to the ground. And that's by an act of war, planes crashing into the buildings. But imagine if those 48,000 Americans were killed by being decapitated, by being raped, by being split open, by being slaughtered, by being taken captive. You have to get the, 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 the perspective that the Jewish people have to live with. It was the most horrendous thing that happened to them from the Holocaust, and that wound has not healed. That wound has not healed. So for you and I, I think we have to put this into a perspective. We have to understand what's happening around us so that we can see it the way the Lord wants us to see it. He's coming back. And Israel is in the, in the center of that movement, our spiritual future. Israel or Israelite is mentioned in the Bible 2,300 times. And every time it is racial, the, the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The word Jew is mentioned in the Old Testament 800 times. Israelite, 2,300 times. 
He is called the God of Israel 203 times in the scripture. Jerusalem is mentioned 811 times in the scripture. In the New Testament, Israel is mentioned 75 times. And the word Jew is used 170 times. And the Bible is filled with, filled with God's relationship to the Jew, to Israel, to Jerusalem. So it shouldn't be hard for you and I to understand God's foreign policy in the natural. We know his spiritual policy is whosoever will may come. And that around his throne in the not too distant future, every nation, every kindred, every tribe, every tongue will be there. The heart of Christ is open to whatever people, whatever nation, whatever tribe, whatever kindred. But God has a policy in regards to Israel because of his plan that needs to be fulfilled through Israel. And basically, his foreign policy is and has been the preservation of a literal Israel. And look, he's done that through the millennium. Pharaoh. Inspired by Satan. You see, when, when Adam and Eve fell, God told them, I'm going to put enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And the seed of the serpent is going to crush, or is going to wound his heel, but the seed of the woman, only time in the Bible, seed of the woman. It's always the seed of the man, but it's a virgin birth. The seed of the woman is going to crush the serpent's head. Satan has tried to stop that from the beginning. He knows it will be through Abraham and his seed. In Egypt, the days of Moses, Pharaoh gave the commandment to take all the male children and throw them into the Nile River, killing them in numbers that we hardly understand. In the days of Balak, when the children of Israel who are survived that were coming to the land, he hires Balaam to come and to curse the children of Israel, to stop them from coming in. Of course, that never worked. In the days of Esther, Haman comes up with a plan to slaughter every single Jew alive. Satan behind that is evil. And of course, he failed in his plan. Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, just tired of Jerusalem. The third time they come, they level it. They carry every Jew away. They disperse them among the nations. They wanted them to dissolve and never be a people again. But of course, that didn't take place either. When Jesus was born, Herod sends his soldiers to Bethlehem to slaughter every male child two years old and under. Satan was behind that. Rome, under Vespasian, 70 A.D., and then Hadrian, 135 A.D., slaughtered two million Jews. Again, Satan trying to rid himself of that. And, of course, you follow their history, whether it's the Crusaders or the Mamluks or the, the Ottoman Empire. Uh, and The Holocaust. Before the Holocaust, Hitler... There were 16.3, I believe, million Jews alive on the planet. Today, there's 15 million. 
Today in Israel, there's 7.2 million Jews. The next highest population is the United States, 6.1 million. But it's the first time in 2,000 years the largest concentration of Jews in any country on the planet is back in the nation of Israel. Hezbollah, Iran, 1948, they tried to wipe them out, 67, 73, 82, 2023, and we're seeing anti-Semitism alive today as it has been alive for thousands and thousands of years. And understand, when we see this anti-Semitism, this is a spiritual darkness. I have no desire to judge everybody who's marching on the street because there are some people out there that are just ill-informed. They have no idea what they're doing, and they don't realize if they were in Israel at the musical festival on October 7th, they'd be dead. So they're protesting against Israel, the occupiers. There are other people who are doing it because they're getting paid to do it. And there is a, a, a global world order movement behind the scenes that would ha be happy to get rid of Israel to make the oil-rich countries their compatriots. And then probably other parts of the crowd, you're, they're just nuts. <laughs> they jump on anything that looks like exciting. Let's get out there and let's do it, right? You're laughing because you know I'm telling the truth. You know, the interesting thing is Mark Twain, when he traveled to Israel, he came back and said, it's barren. There's not the 1800s. There's nobody, I, we hardly saw any people. I, I don't understand. And he wrote this. If statistics are right, the Jews constitute but 1% of the human race. It suggests a nebulous, dim puff of stardust lost in the blaze of the Milky Way. Properly, the Jew ought hardly to be heard of, but he is heard of and has always been heard of. He is as prominent on the planet as any other people. His commercial importance is extravagantly out of proportion to the smallest of his bulk. His contributions to the world's list of great names in literature, science, art, music, finance, medicine, and learning are also way out of proportion to the weakness of his numbers. He has made a marvelous fight in this world in all ages and has done it with his hands tied behind his back. He could be a vain in himself and he would be excused for it. The Egyptian and the Babylonian and the Persian rose. They filled the planet with sound and splendor, and then they faded to dream stuff and passed away. The Greek and the Roman followed and made a vast noise, and they are gone. Other people have sprung up and held their torch high for a time, but it burned out. And they sit in twilight now, or have vanished. The Jew saw them all, beat them all, and is now what he always was, exhibiting no decadence, no infirmities of age, no weakening of his parts, no slowing of his energies, no dulling of his alert and aggressive mind, 
all things are mortal, but the Jew. All other forces pass, but he remains. What is the secret of his immortality? And Mark Twain was an agnostic and a skeptic. But when he measured history and he saw Israel, he was in this quandary. He said, I don't understand their influence. How do they survive? Why are they still around today? Why is this happening? It was because this is the Lord's plan. That's why it's happening. The Jews have been indigenous. They're an indigenous people. They're not occupiers. It's not like some other country put them there and they should be paying tribute you know, or, or taxes to some other greater country in the world. They've been there for 4,000 years. 2,000 years before a Palestinian. 2,500 years before Islam. Understood, you know, understand this. Titus Vespasian and four Roman legions came in and burned the city down. They destroyed it, the temple. They slaughtered and led multitudes away as slaves. And in 135, there was another revolt. And Hadrian, the Caesar then, he came in and he finished everything. He drug a plow over Jerusalem, left it bare. And he was so tired of the Jews and so was Rome that he changed the name of the country, 135 A.D., from Israel to Palestina, because Palestina is the Latin name for Philistine. And Hadrian, the Romans, wanted to insult the Jews, so they changed the name of their country from Israel to Palestina. So everybody born in Israel up until 1947 was a Palestinian. If you were a Christian, and there were many, born in Israel before 1947, your birth certificate said Palestinian. If you were a Muslim, it said Palestinian. An Arab, Palestinian. If you were Druze, it said Palestinian. If you were a Bedouin, it said Palestinian. If you were a Jew, it said Palestinian. Everybody born there before 1948 was a Palestinian. And in 1948, through the Belfar Declaration and, the, and the, the British Mandate and so forth, the UN voted and the American Senate and Congress to create a national homeland for the Jews. Everybody in the world was behind it because of the Holocaust and what had taken place. And now we're calling them occupiers, like they just got there. Understand, outside of the Bible, in archaeological digs, the Merneptah steel, a, an inscription in Egypt, 1,200 years B.C., mentions the defeat of Israel in a war with Egypt. Of course, they would only record their victories. There are Canaanite inscriptions 900 years before Christ, that speak of Israel and King David, Moabite inscriptions. They have recently found another Egyptian inscription, 1400 BC. These are thousands of years Israel's being spoken about before 1948 when anybody could call them an occupier. They are the indigenous people of the land. 
They're the indigenous people of the land. Look, Saudi Arabia becomes a nation, 1913. Lebanon, 1920. Iraq as a nation, 1932. Syria becomes a nation, 1941. The borders of Jordan are established in 1946. Kuwait becomes a nation in 1961. None of them are called occupiers or, you know, they, they, they were given this under the British mandate. They were all under control of the Turks before that. If Israel doesn't have the land, then God is disingenuous. He says this in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 13 to Abraham. It says, the Lord said unto Abraham, after the lot was separated from him, and it tells us Abraham's camp between Bethel and Ai, which is the West Bank, by the way. Lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth. If a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land, in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Then Abraham removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, Israel. And he built there an altar to the Lord. That's what the Lord said. In Deuteronomy, he said this, And it shall come to pass, when all these things are come upon thee, the blessing and the curse which I have set before thee, and thou shalt call them to mine among all the nations, plural, not just Babylon, whither the Lord thy God hath driven thee, and shall return unto the Lord thy God, and shall obey his voice according to all that I command thee this day, and thy children with all thine heart and all thy soul, that the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity and have compassion upon thee and will return and gather thee from all the nations, plural, whither the Lord thy God has scattered thee. If of any of thine be driven to the outmost parts of heaven, from thence will the Lord thy God gather thee and from thence will he fetch thee, and the Lord thy God will bring thee into the land which thy fathers possessed, and thou shalt possess it, and he will do thee good and multiply thee as thy fathers. He says this in Jeremiah. He says, Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that it shall no more be said, the Lord liveth that brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. That's with Moses and so forth. But the Lord liveth that brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north, from all the lands whither he had driven them. And I will bring them again into their land and I, that I gave to their fathers. Israel has to be there or God is disingenuous. He doesn't tell the truth. There's an eschatological necessity for the literal reality of Israel. 
Jeremiah again says this, Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for a light by day, and the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus saith the Lord, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, saith the Lord. The idea is if the natural order is dissolved, the sun, the moon, the stars, the seasons, the oceans, if he says, if you ever see all of the natural order dissolved, I'll get rid of Israel too. If you ever see the immeasurable things measured out and calculated, if you, if you see humanity able to do that, you know, we've been measuring the heavens for decades now, and every time we measure it, it gets bigger. And, and we, don't, you know, we don't know what to do with, the, with the, some of the drifts and the speed of light isn't what we thought the speed of light was and so forth, you know, the red shift and all of this. We, we, we can't measure. He said, he said, if those things that are immeasurable can be measured, then I'll get rid of Israel. Israel has to be there. In the weeks ahead, we, we'll look at Ezekiel 37, the Valley of Dry Bones, God bringing the nation back to life. It says, it is the land of Israel, he says. Daniel, there's a covenant made with the Antichrist, seven-year peace treaty with Israel. Israel has to exist. That's ahead of us. Zechariah, all of the nations of the world, stumbling over Israel. Jesus said to his disciples, you will sit on, the, on 12 thrones and judge the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus said that in the kingdom coming. Israel, Israel, it's a good name for it, is a necessity. Look, here's the crazy thing about it today. Israel is the size of New Jersey. Israel is 8,630 square miles. The whole nation. 8,630 square miles. Arab, the Arab and Muslim world, that's 22 Arab states and 52 Muslim states. The Arab Muslim oil rich world is 8,392,668 square miles. Over 8 million. The Jews, 8,000 square miles. The United States is 3,119,884.69, just to be exact, square miles. The Muslim Arab world is more than twice as large as the United States. And all they can think about is this one little strip of land, 8,000 square miles, when they have over 8 million square miles. And they have the wealth to care for them. It's because it's spiritual. There's a dark, malevolent force behind that kind of hatred. As there is in Ukraine, as there is wherever in the world today, image bearers are shedding their blood and it's running into the sand. Satan rejoices when every human being dies without Christ. United Nations has spent, since it was founded, one-third 
of its time dealing with Israel and their right to hold the land in Jerusalem. A third of all of their meetings. There have been more than 64,000 individual votes in the United Nations condemning Israel. You can imagine that, 64,000 against the nation of Israel. In October of 2013, um, Benjamin Netanyahu, as prime minister then as well, spoke at the October 13th, the, the fall session of the United Nations General Council. They let him speak and he warned about a nuclear Iran. He said, if you watch our world, this is what's going to happen. If, the, if, the, if you don't do something about this, this is what the future is going to hold. We are right on track where he said we would be in 2013. But he ended his speech to the United Nations by saying this. As the prophet Amos said, they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. They shall till gardens and eat their fruit, and I will plant them upon their soil, never to be uprooted again. Ladies and gentlemen, the people of Israel have come home never to be uprooted again. He speaks in Auschwitz in 2009. And he spoke about the prophet Ezekiel 37. And he said the dry bones of the Jewish people coming back together miraculously to form the state of Israel have come to pass in my lifetime. The miracle. And yet we see this anti-Semitism around the world so sadly and it's interesting as we watch it because <clears throat> we're seeing it in New York, we're seeing it in Washington, we're seeing it in London, we're seeing it in Berlin, we're seeing it all over the world. And we're starting to hear Jews in America say, we don't feel safe here. In Berlin, London, we don't feel safe here. And you're starting to hear some of them say, perhaps the only safe place for a Jew is our national homeland. And we may be ready to see a huge move back to Israel from Jews from all over the world. <clears throat> I want to play a piece for you um, that was just performed in Israel. How many of you have been to Israel with us? How many of you have been to Israel without us? Well, good to see you, too. Welcome. Glad you're here. Um, those of you who have gone to Israel with us, you'll remember that on the first day we visit in Caesarea Philippi, the amphitheater that they've unearthed there that seats over 2,000 people. When we used to go in 1982-83, we were the only ones there, and you could drop a quarter or a dime up front, and you could hear it anywhere in the 2,000 seats. It's where Paul stood before Festus and Agrippa and Felix. <clears throat> and it's been unearthed. Since this war with Hamas has started about a month and a half ago, a thousand musicians and singers from all over Israel 
who volunteered their time, nobody got paid, gathered at the amphitheater in Caesarea. And they put together a piece, I think it's prophetic, because it's called Bring Them Home. And they were specifically, certainly, talking about the hostages. As you watch this, you'll see the, the song switches to the Israeli national anthem in the middle of the song. And then all of these Jewish people walk in with photographs of their moms and their dads and their kids and their grandmas, the pictures of their hostages on their chest. And as they come in, they switch back to the song again. And the song is Bring Them Home. And I think it's prophetic. In English, this is what the words say. It sounds much better in Hebrew because of the language, because of the meter and the way the, the rhyme. But in English, it says, another hour has passed, another hour of madness. The weeds have grown in the path and garden. The wind sighed, opening the shutter, banging the old wall, as if calling home, home. The idea is bring them home. It's time to return from the hills, and interesting, from the foreign fields. The day is fading, and there is no sign. Home, home, before the light is dimmed, cold nights, bitter nights closing in. Until the dawn, I pray for you, bound in the grip of fear. I hear steps, home, home because it hasn't yet been given as was promised long ago. And every Jew, when they say to each other, Shalom, that's what they're hoping for. That's what they're hoping for. <clears throat> and I've been there 30 times. I have been to Lebanon. I have been to Jordan. I have been to Israel a number of years ago with Joel Rosenberg and did a pastor's conference with over a hundred Palestinian pastors and over a hundred Messianic Jewish pastors. And they both get persecuted by their people. And they put up with each other. And the Palestinians said, we know these Jews love us. That's why we come here. We're part of this. And they begged me to come to Janine. They begged me to come to the West Bank where I'm not going. You know, come to Nazareth. Speak in our churches. Pastor Joe, we're on the app. Palestinian pastors. And the Jews, listen, these are people who love the arts. They love dance. They love music. They love performing. They love science. They love research. They love literature. They love agriculture. They love medical research. And if they didn't have to spend money on military spending, they would be benefiting every neighbor in the region and every nation in the world. I know them. They want peace. And this is something they performed about a month and a half ago. We're going to run this. <clears throat> I want you to watch it. You can see the emotion. You can see how genuine they are. Some of them are 12 years old. Some of them are 80 years old. Those of you who have been to this arena will weep. And when it's over, this is our last worship song for this morning. When it's over, I want you to do this. Just with the person next to you. I want you to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's what the scripture tells us we should do. So in obedience to the Lord, would you do that? 
Just take a moment, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and then go as the Lord leads. And remember to have these things in the right perspective. This is spiritual. This is not political. This is not United Nations. This is not occupiers. There is a reality that is greater to all of this. I think this piece is prophetic. Matt, you want to run this?
Take it a moment. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. God bless you guys. <clears throat> Next week, back in prophecy.